When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back to Pro Football Network's premier fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, BJ Rudell. With me, as always, fantasy analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. It is Monday, April 4th. Uh, we're talking about three players today. Uh, three players. Uh, it's off season. It's not yet the NFL draft. There's always stuff to talk about. Uh, one retrospective player and, and two uh, with uh, some promise in fantasy. We'll start with the retrospective. Uh, Frank Gore announcing his retirement. Uh, didn't play last year, uh, ends his career as the number three all-time uh, rusher in terms of yards. Um, and because this is a fantasy podcast, we're going to talk about the fantasy aspects of it. Katz, uh, what does Frank Gore mean to you from a fantasy perspective? Frank Gore has been with me in fantasy for almost my entire fantasy career. I started playing fantasy football in 2003. Frank Gore was drafted in 2005. So I was in high school when Frank Gore was drafted. When I, when I first saw Frank Gore in the player pool, I was still, still in high school. So it's been a long time, and it's really impressive what he's done. He literally played until he couldn't play anymore. You know, some guys want to go out on their own terms. Frank Gore said, no, I'm going to keep doing this until the NFL tells me they don't want me anymore. <laughs> For better or worse, that finally happened in 2021 at 38 years old. 38 years old, though. Running backs just don't play that long. He, I... Yeah. Fred Jackson uh, was, was the anomaly. I think, what did he, I think he retired at 36, Darren Sproles at 36, but they were, you know, for much of their careers, they were role players, even though Darren Sproles is one of the uh, you know greatest all time. And what he did, he was one of the highest uh, uh, yardage uh, all, all around yards guys in NFL history. But at the same time, the durability factor of, of running through the lines time after time, 200 plus times a season, you know, it's very different if you're Fred Jackson or Darren Sproles versus being a guy like Frank Gore who's getting punished game after game after game in a different way. Yeah, it's, it's typical that you'll see pass-catching backs can play uh, more effectively into their 30s, whereas a guy like Frank Gore, who is pretty much – I mean, listen, he was – and he was a, a competent pass catcher, but this was this was a grinder. This is a between-the-tackles runner who was taking poundings every year. And what he did, it's – I mean, he he's not necessarily one of the greatest running backs of all time, but he did some things that we will never see again. This is a man that could have played over his career 256 games if he played every game. He played 241. That's just, just 15 games missed. In, in a career of that length is just absurd. From 2011 to 2017, he didn't miss a single game. Yeah. And most of those years occurred in his 30s. Yeah. It's just, I mean, 
3,735 career rushes. Just truly, truly unbelievable. He actually finished his career exactly 16,000 rushing yards, which I think is, is a perfect cap to just yes. what was – I think he belongs in the Hall of Fame, if, if not for the durability and longevity alone. Now, as far as the Fantasy Hall of Fame, there is no such thing, although Katz and I are going to start building one. Uh, we haven't decided if it will be in uh, his living room or my living room. We'll get back to you on that. Um, but Gore, as a fantasy asset, um, just I, and my take on this, I mean, I, you, you talked about when Frank Gore broke into the league and you were in high school. I remember uh, starting my blog, my fantasy football blog, back in officially 2013. I launched it in 2012, but I didn't write anything. And then in 2013, I decided to start writing. And one of my first predictions on that blog was that the 30-year-old Frank Gore would regress um, based on age and wear and tear and uh, the likelihood, I think, that Carlos Hyde would step up or whatever, whatever the reasons were. They all made sense at the time. Frank Gore proved me wrong at 30 years old. Then he proved me wrong again at 31. And I'm sure he did it at least two or three more times deep into his 30s. Um, it, he seems like an anomaly. He seems like if you're in a dynasty league and you have a running back who's 25, you're almost at that sell high period, depending on how long that running back's been the starter. Because by 27, 28, you might not get much for them unless they are elite. And most running backs at 27, 28 are no longer elite. So what does Frank Gore's value, like, what do you feel like you did? You've done a lot of dynasty cats, right? I mean, Gore's dynasty value, it seems like it must have been teetering for a decade, uh, given how long it seemed like, well, he can't keep this up. And he kept kind of keeping it up. I, I didn't play any dynasty back then. Dynasty wasn't really a thing in, in the mid 2000s, at least not for me. I don't really get super hardcore into the fantasy analysis side of this until the mid 2010s. Uh, so there was no dynasty stuff in there. I do, I, I do remember not being as in tune with age and, and that type of analysis when I was younger, of course, because I was younger and just wasn't as experienced. But a guy like Gore, I, I, I'm curious to know if somebody now could go back to like 2005, 2006 and, and, and say, okay, what would you prefer? You can get Frank Gore, somebody who's going to be a useful fantasy back deep into his 30s. But, I mean, this is a guy who, during his 30s, he was never super effective. He was you know, around, like, 2012, he was 14.4 fantasy points per game. 2013, 11.9. 2014, 9.9. He was kind of in that range of the low teens. But he was useful for longer than any other running back. Is that better or worse than a guy who is more effective but for a shorter period of time? I'm not talking about, like, LaDainian Tomlinson or, or – or, um, or Clinton Portis, or Arian Foster, or any of those guys. But if, right. comparing it to more of a, if you had like a, a mid to high RB2 for four years, or you could have Frank Gore for like 12 years, what yeah. would you prefer in Dynasty? Yeah, it's, it would seem to me, I mean, some people, you know, are, are in Dynasty or in win-now mode. Gore doesn't help you in win-now mode. Um, but Gore serves a role in deeper leagues. So if you're in a Dynasty, if you're in a 16-team Dynasty league, you can be in win-now mode and still reap the benefits of a back-end RB2, top-end RB3 like Frank Gore as your, you know, as a deep flex um, in, in a big league. So to your point, there is there is a role for Gore, especially in deeper leagues, and there has been for years, right up until really his, his final couple of years. I mean, 
when he went to Miami. 2018. 2018 yeah, when it basically ended. When he went to Miami, it kind of, uh, you know, the, the wheels fell off. He was no longer, he, he could always be counted on for 250 plus rushing attempts and basically almost 300 touches. And when you're getting that kind of volume, you're going to be fantasy relevant um, almost without, you know, even thinking about it. Uh, his receptions, like you had alluded to, had gone down. He was averaging like 50, 55 receptions a season for his first several years as a starter. Um, he could have gone in that direction for whatever reason. That wasn't the direction he went, and he went more in that bruising, you know, just kind of, uh, uh, you know, three and a half to four yards, four and a half yards carry, not as much, although he did catch 30 balls occasionally down the road, but he was, he was essentially more of a, a grinder. Um, but he was still getting close to 300 touches. And to your point, Katz, yeah, as soon as 2018 hit and he couldn't be 300-touch guy, and he wasn't even a 200-touch guy, at that point it really doesn't matter what you get in Gore because it's not going to help you win. But, I mean, Frank Gore's 2006 was a truly, truly tremendous season. It's unfortunate that he never reached that level again. He had 2,180 total yards from scrimmage. He was the RB5 that year, averaging 20.2 fantasy points per game. It was, I don't want to say it was all downhill from there because he was still effective for so long, but he never even got close to that level of production again. His next best season in terms of yards was actually his uh, 2007 season, age 24, 1,538 yards. He got the 1526 in 2009, but other than that, it was, it was more of just solid production across the board. Yeah. Frank Gore had at least 1,200 yards from scrimmage, though, every year from 2006 to 2017. And I remind you, he was 34 years old in 2017. And just to uh, put a button on on uh, my thoughts on Frank Gore and what he meant in fantasy as well, consider that in 2014, the Niners drafted Carlos Hyde to be the heir apparent to, at that point, a uh, soon-to-be 31-year-old Frank Gore. So everyone in Dynasty at that point probably had their money on Carlos Hyde. And Carlos Hyde has gone on uh, to have a solid career. He's had almost 5,000 rushing yards and 37 uh, rushing touchdowns, I think 40 total touchdowns uh, since 2014. But if you add up what Frank Gore has done since he was 31 years old, um, he's got over 5,500 rushing yards. And he has, you know, uh, like 25, 28, 30 touchdowns. So basically... The, the person who was, was supposed to replace Frank Gore um, has never really risen even, uh, you know, at or above consistently the level of Frank Gore into his 30s, um, which says a lot about what Gore's been able to sustain. Um, you know, the big knock on Gore is that once his, his yards per carry started dropping, he became less efficient, less valuable to teams, and the writing was on the wall. But again, it is very unusual to see a 31-year-old face pressure from a rookie and uh, overcome the pressure and go toe to toe the rest of their respective careers, essentially. Any final thoughts on, uh, on Gore cats? I mean, Carlos Hyde did usher Gore out of San Francisco. And I'm sure that once he left the 49ers in 2015, the thought was, okay, this 32 year old running back switching teams, there's just no way he's going to be effective ever again. And then for the entirety of his Colts career, he was he was competent. He was competent and he was effective. Yeah. And that was a surprise to me every year. I remember Gore would always be drafted late. And I'd be like, why? Because there was no upside. <laughs> but at the same time, inevitably, at some point every season up until that 2018 season, 
there was a moment where somebody looked down and was like, you know what? He won't get me zero. And that was what Frank, that was Frank Gore's role. He was someone you could plug in and you knew he wouldn't get you zero. You wouldn't lose because you wouldn't win across of him, but you would never lose because of Frank Gore. While he was with the Colts, there was about a, a 35% chance. I just did some quick math. I might be off by a few percent. If anyone has a correct percent, please tweet, tweet at us. Uh, but uh, about 35% of the time, he got a touchdown. And if you're if you're getting almost 300 touches a season and you have a 35% chance at, let's say, 14-plus fantasy points, you know, that's worth a sixth rounder. That's worth a seventh rounder. And Gore definitely wasn't going much earlier than that, if at all. Um, in 2015, 2016, 2017 with the Colts. He was he was not seen as someone who could keep the starting job. We have to remember that. Uh, Frank Gore was not expected to be a three-year starter with the Colts, uh, playing with Andrew Luck uh, and, uh, and you know, really a, a solid team up and down um, with T.Y. Hilton in his prime. The expectation was Robert Turbin, you know, would replace him or Josh Ferguson. Um, and, and perhaps, nobody could. Perhaps What's in that? 2017, in 2017, the Colts drafted someone in the fourth round by the name of Marlon Mack. There you go. Hey, what a perfect segue, Cats. We, uh, as we've talked about before, we do not plan these, and that was not planned. But we are going to. Uh, we did say we were going to talk about Marlon Mack before the show, and so this is perfect. Thank you, Cats. I'm throwing it to you now, Marlon Mack, uh, going to Houston. Um, seems like a perfect landing spot. Uh, too bad uh, the Colts uh, buried him uh, for an entire year without needing him. Uh, they probably could have gotten something for him if they had tried to trade him. Although maybe they couldn't trade him. Maybe nobody wanted him. But he is an intriguing fantasy prospect in a in in probably the weakest backfield still in the league. What are your thoughts right now, Cats, on Marlon Mack? Is he is he a, a, a you know someone you take in the fifth sixth round as a flyer? It's funny you bring that up because I was trying to figure out where Marlon Mack might go this year, depending on his role. And I was thinking sixth or seventh round. And, and that's that's not a bad price for a player who he's not he's he's not a bad running back. I mean, he he had thousand yards from scrimmage in 2018, 1173 yards in 2019. He he showed promise and potential as a, a lead back. The biggest knock on him that I had during his time in Indianapolis was they never used him as a receiver. And that's not because he can't. I mean, this is somebody who had an 11.8% college target share. He's a capable pass catcher. They just never used him in that role. Similar to kind of how they don't use, they use Naheem Hines as their pass catcher now and instead of Jonathan Taylor, even though Taylor can certainly catch passes as well. More of a scheme thing, not a player issue thing. In Houston, he missed likely trailing. What if Mac ends up being like a, like a three-down back? It's it's certainly possible. We saw 31-year-old Rex Burkhead post an overall RB3 week with 28.9 fantasy points last season. If if Mac gets that type of volume, which is certainly possible on a barren depth chart that features Burkhead, Scotty Phillips, and Royce Freeman, I, 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 there's a chance that Mac is a nice value this year. It's fascinating that they chose Burkhead, who's turning 32 in July, over uh, David Johnson, Philip Lindsay. Uh, maybe not surprising, but still fascinating. Um, and it just shows the um, the state of that backfield. Um, I, I really like Mac. I like the fact that um, I, I don't like the fact that uh, that Houston very well could draft a running back for, of the future uh, in, in the you know the draft later this month. Um, that is a concern for anyone who's drafting in April before the NFL draft. You don't know what you're getting. 
Um, but at the same time, there is a very strong possibility that Mac will be the week one starter. Um, even if they don't, even if they do draft somebody, uh, Mac could be the starting point and then it could be a timeshare at worst. So you could get several good weeks out of someone like Mac. And yeah, to your point, Katz, uh, the, the pass catching issue is going to be a problem. If, if Houston's offense continues to be subpar, which should be expected realistically, given the talent levels of other teams, not just because Houston might not be a great team, although they might not be a great team, but really there's a lot of talented, uh, high octane offenses out there. Houston's probably will not be one of them. And so the question then becomes, does Mac become a kind of a throwback Frank Gore um, basically uh, in his later years where he's grinding out, you know, 70 yards a game, but he's not getting a ton of touchdowns. You're rolling the dice, hoping that he scores because without the receptions and without a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a, a strong offense from this team, you're, you need the score to make it work. Uh, otherwise, you're just getting seven, eight points a lot of weeks. And that's pretty tough to swallow. Um, if you take a guy, you know, to your point again, Katz, I keep saying to your point, but you threw it out there sixth or seventh round. I was saying fifth or sixth. I'm more with you a little bit now. I would I would lean backwards a little bit because the ceiling may, is a little bit concerning for a guy like Mac, unless that offense kicks it into high gear by midseason. I do think Mac could be somebody with a a wider range of outcomes that might be expected for a player of his skill set, because it really depends on how the Texans end up using him. If he is a three down back, then I think in the sixth, seventh round, or even fifth round, he'll end up being a value. But if, like you said, if he's going to be a, just a two down back that doesn't catch passes, then we need those touchdowns. The Texans, if, if we if we rule out Tyrod Taylor's three rushing touchdowns, which don't count for running backs, obviously, they rushed for three for for five touchdowns last season. Burkhead had three, Mark Ingram had one, Philip Lindsay had one. That's it. If if we're penciling in Marlon Mack for only five or six touchdowns, and he's and he's not going to catch more than more than fifteen to twenty passes on the season, then that's not going to be somebody that's going to have much value in, in fantasy. He'll still be useful. He'll be someone that you should draft, but that that's more of a player that goes in the late single digit rounds. Yeah. On the other hand, though, if we do see Mac, if we do see signs that Mac will be a three down back. We know he can catch passes if if they use him in that role. That would give him far more upside, and, and that would make him somebody I'm far more interested in possibly drafting. And just to uh, throw it back to Frank Gore again, just for some perspective, the two years that Mac really got a lot of volume, 2018 and 2019, um, the, the, uh, the uh, expanded metrics on him do not suggest that this could be someone with breakout potential. Uh, he, his uh, broken tackle rate, for example, is worse than Gore's in each of those two years. Uh, his yards per uh, uh, after contact, worse than Gore, uh, at least one of those years. Um, uh, this is a guy who uh, you might say benefited from playing behind a great offensive line. The Colts had a great offensive line those years. Um, and so the question becomes playing behind a potentially worse offensive line um, in a worse offense, uh, the, back to you, Katz, with the range of possibilities, there is that possibility that says Mac really struggles to replicate what we saw him do in Indy because it's now apples to oranges. It's going to a team that doesn't have the personnel to support someone like Mac, who is not expected. Mac was intriguing when he, I think he was drafted in the fourth round. He was 
he yeah. was one of those guys when he was drafted, like, oh, he could make some noise. And he did, but it became very clear that he was not a top two or even likely top three option uh, in that offense. The Colts were ready to move on from him. They knew something. They saw something. Is he more of a commodity? Is he someone that is easily replaceable? Um, is are his yards per, per uh, carry that he had, which was very impressive in those two years, was it uh, you know a, a little bit of a, a mirage based on the fact that he ran behind a great offensive line um, and and you know was the featured back and basically was able to capitalize on a situation that we will not see him uh, achieve uh, with Houston. So as we're talking about it, cats, I have to say, if I'm in dynasty and I've been holding on to Mac. I think I sell on the news. I sell and I basically say, hey, if you want, um, you know, Houston's next starter, lead back, um, I'm dangling Marlon Mack. Um, but I don't think I'm acquiring Mack on the news. I think I'm waiting and seeing what happens in the draft. And I'm waiting and seeing whether this guy can actually be uh, a starter beyond week one. So that's that's my, what are your final thoughts on Mack, Katz? It's a little disconcerting that in 2019, he only averaged 12.8 uh, PPR fantasy points per game in a season where he's where he rushed for over a thousand yards, had 247 carries, and scored eight touchdowns on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Because because you look at those numbers and you think, okay, that got him to about 13, and that's that's in that low RB two type range. Best case, how much better is he going to be able to do in Houston? I mean, that, that's significant. Bottom. He had 261 touches. Do we think he's getting? Over 250 touches in Houston this year? I don't. I don't see any scenario where that happens, even if he is their lead back. Is he scoring eight touchdowns in Houston? No. This, this is not going to happen. He runs for 1,000 yards in Houston? Maybe, but even if he does, if he, we already saw that 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns with minimal receptions gets him to 13 points per game max. So that might be his ceiling this year, which again, it, it depends on the price. If, if we're drafting him in the 10th round, yes, yeah, sign me up. But if he's if he's getting propped up into the fourth or fifth round, or even maybe the sixth round, on on this expectation that he's going to be this three down back, that's not worth as much as you think in a place like Houston. Um, I I, I like it all. I like the analysis. I like the fact that um, uh, Houston was desperate, so they got the best available guy. And from a fantasy perspective, we have to understand uh, perspective. And we have to understand there's context and that the Marlon Mack of 2018 and 2019 probably was his peak um, unless uh, they use him differently. And with Burkhead still on the roster, um, it's very possible that Mack will be one of those, you know, two down running backs, which is painful if you're rostering a guy like Mack as a two down back in a subpar offense. That is a that is a rough combination because you're not capitalizing on the goal line looks that higher volume uh, offenses are giving running backs. And then you're not benefiting from those cheapy points you get on those three catches for 31 yards um, that elevate running backs into that top 20 range consistently. Mac is not, is not packaged to be that kind of player as it stands now uh, from where I'm sitting. So uh, cats, let's shift to another guy. Um, one more player, Devontae Parker, going to New England. I, I'll, I'll start to say I am shocked that the Patriots, that the best they could get was Devontae Parker. And I say that as someone who was huge on Parker in his contract year. I wrote about him extensively, um, that 
that Parker was the kind of player who would rise to the occasion to get the payday. Um, and I invested big on him. I encourage people to invest big on him. He came up big. And since then, he has been unable to stay healthy and he has not found the same groove. I mean, this is a case of a player who was drafted uh, first, second round for first round, I think, in 2015. He's had one year that uh, befits, can I use the word befit on this podcast, Cats? That befits his first round pictum. Every other year, uh, he has fallen short of the lofty expectations when the Dolphins first drafted him. And the Patriots are desperate for Jacoby Myers not to be their number one receiver. And that's no knock on Jacoby Myers, but Jacoby Myers is not going to elevate the team in the postseason. They need a true number one. I'm surprised that Devontae Parker is the best they could get. Maybe they have their eye on someone in the draft. But the key takeaway for me on this is uh, Parker's best days in all likelihood are well behind him at this point. Um, he is going to a team where it could be extraordinary, much more run friendly than it was in Miami. Um, playing with a quarterback who probably will take another step forward, but it, this is a spread it around quarterback from what we've seen in limited capacity. This is not a guy who's going to lock in on Parker for 150 targets, I would expect. And so you're looking at Parker being, you know, maybe a top 40 receiver if he's the number one all season. And I think that is a tough sell for me right now. I would put him right around 45 if I had to bet and wait and see what happens in the NFL draft. Katz, what are your thoughts? You really kind of are you're in very lockstep with my take on Devontae Parker. That's, that, that that's 20, unfortunate. That 2019 rare fifth-year breakout, it was incredible. Uh, he averaged 15.4 PPR points per game. And most importantly to, to him that season was – from a fantasy perspective, from week nine to the end of the year, he was the overall wide receiver three in fantasy points per game. He was a true league winner in every sense of the term. But in right. 2020, credit to the fantasy community, his ADP didn't spike as much as somebody of that of that level of performance typically does. And sure enough, he was back to the same old Devontae Parker. 11.9 points per game in 2020, 11.5 in 2021. He's now 29 years old and he's switching teams. All of those things are red flags on his 2022 profile. Now he's joining the Patriots. The good news is I think he is clearly their best receiver. Bad news is that's, that's more, it has more to do with the other receivers than him. The Patriots ran the ball 47.8% of the time in 2021, the seventh highest rate in the league. Even if we give Parker a like 25% target share, which feels very high, and I would not project him for that. When I do my projections, I'll probably put him at 20%. But at 25%, He's looking at around maybe 130 targets. 20% puts him around 100. In the right offense, I can see Parker having some upside, but he's playing with Mac Jones, somebody who's not really a deep ball quarterback. And Parker's best year came in 2019 because of the deep ball passes he was getting. His yards per reception in 2019, 16.7, highest since his rookie year where he barely played. Every other year, he was between 11.8 and 13.3. So that 2019 really stands out as Devontae Parker excelling because he was getting passes downfield. I don't see that coming from Mac Jones, and I'm with you. I think he's more of a wide receiver four. Yeah, uh, very good. I, I just looked it up, actually, uh, on my spreadsheet. I keep on ADPs going back to 2015, and Parker's never been better than a preseason WR3 uh, in terms of ADP. 
um, which uh, again, credit to the fantasy community and all the experts out there um, for not getting too hyped up about someone like Parker. Um, it, it is, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not, yeah, he's the 130 target guy or if he's a 90 target guy. I could see Belichick getting frustrated with Parker um, early. Um, uh, this is a, this is a guy who I think he's at best case scenario, he's the number one for one season. Um, uh, that if Belichick wants to make a run with Damian Harris uh, in his prime um, and potentially a strong Ramondre Stevenson, um uh and mac jones developing i mean the key there is the backfield they they have the defense and the running game to be competitive against any team and what they need is receiver help and i really thought they were going to make a big play for Allen robinson or a big play for you know for another high impact receiver and it has to be a little bit deflating uh, i would think if you're a patriots fan that the best they could do is parker and I would just say the, the risk here in terms of fantasy is that as 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 much as his upside, yes, could be 130 targets, his downside could make him on the verge of undraftable because he, you pretty much have to be the number one receiver in New England unless the, the passing attack changes dramatically uh, to be fantasy relevant. Jacoby Myers was selectively fantasy relevant. Kendrick Bourne had a few good weeks. Um, that's as much as you could say about the Patriots. And so to be able to feed Jacoby Myers and Devontae Parker and their other, you know, including their tight ends, uh, it's it is it's a stretch to me for Parker to be uh, easily draftable. I think he's only draftable because you have to draft a guy who you think might be the number one receiver on every team because you never know what's going to happen. But he might be the the least valued number one unless Houston trades Brandon Cooks and then whoever would be Houston's number one, whether it's Nico Collins or somebody else, would replace Parker as the uh, least fantasy relevant number one receiver. Katz, I'll give you the final word. I think you hit, uh, hit the nail on the head with the, the comparison to what we saw last year from Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne. There will be weeks where Devontae Parker has fantasy has, has useful fantasy performances where he finishes a wide receiver three or a wide receiver two. And there will be, maybe it happens two weeks in a row and he gets picked up then after he was dropped for, the, for a slow start or something like that. And you start him and he goes back to his two catches for 20 yards. I just think he's going to be uh, inconsistent and unreliable. He'll have his moments in deeper leagues. There'll be a spot for him if you're starting like five receivers. Then, yeah, he'll probably be one of the better, like, last flexes in your league. Uh, but I don't see him being a consistent, reliable weekly producer or someone that in standard size leagues with, with, with normal uh, starting roster spots that you're going to feel confident starting at any point this season. So to recap, uh, uh, Frank Gore, retired, never forgotten. Marlon Mack in uh, Houston and uh, potentially overvalued, depending on what happens. And Devontae Parker, uh, potentially overvalued. I don't want to put words in Katz's mouth, uh, but certainly uh, you're talking about in Parker and Mack, a couple of uh, guys who, if you are desperate, of course you take the volume. Uh, but uh, in a perfect world, you're not relying too much on volume, just like in a perfect world, you're not relying on Frank Gore when he went to Miami at age 36. Uh, we, we went full circle, Cats. Thank you again, uh, as always, for being uh, uh, my partner in this. Uh, again, I'm BJ Rudell. With me, Jason Katz, better known as Katz, Pro Football Network. Find us at profootballnetwork.com. We'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow.